Mass incarceration in the U.S. is the great tsunami that has ripped apart families and destroyed communities. At the epicenter of this destruction are the children of those incarcerated. My name is Ebony Underwood. I am the founder CEO of We Got Us Now. We Got Us Now is the first of its kind, national, nonprofit, nonpartisan organization built by, led by, and about children and young adults who have been impacted by parental incarceration. These are our stories. To learn more, to join, to donate, go to wegotusnow.org. I'm sitting here in sunny Arizona. I made it. I'm here with Alexandra Peck. She is part of the inaugural cohort of the We Got Us Now Actionist <laughs> um, community. And so, Alexandra, please introduce yourself. Tell us about who you are. My name is Alexandria Petch. I live in Arizona. I am currently working on my PhD. I'm eight years in and I'm writing my dissertation where I interviewed and listened to stories generously provided to me from um, adolescent girls and young women of color who were impacted by familial incarceration. And I learned so much from them. I'm centering them in my work. I'm in a lot of ways a researcher because I'm working on my PhD. So I read a lot, I write a lot, I really try to center children of incarcerated parents um, in all of my work. I'm also an actionist with We Got Us Now. I do some local work with Arizona. I've been with American Friends Service Committee working on sentencing reform in Arizona. And I'm also a daughter of a formerly incarcerated man. My dad was incarcerated for 21 plus years. Wow. Since I was in my mom's belly up until I was 21 um, and a little bit more years after that. So I probably spent more than half of my life connected to the system that we call mass incarceration. That is right. Wow. Thank you so much for saying yes to this interview. I've been telling you for years that I've known Alexandra, gosh, how many years we've known each other? I think it's 2018. Yes, it's 2018. 2018. And it's 2021, so like four solid mm -hmm. years. And um, when I met her, I knew immediately that I wanted to be connected to her. I was so interested in knowing that this was her experience too. And it was my mission at that point to find everybody, <laughs> everybody who was willing to talk and everybody who was like informed about this work and was interested in it because just because we are daughters and sons, everybody isn't always interested in this work. Yeah. So wanting to talk to you more and knowing that I was going to build out this community, I definitely wanted you to be one of the first to be part of this community. So thank you so much for saying yes. Thank you. You know I'm honored, <laughs> so honored. The people we met at the Children Recursive Parents Conference like, you know, some of them years later, we all met at a retreat. I almost felt like walking into a room like, oh my gosh, I know, you. I met you, Paradise. I yeah. met you, Tiffany. I yeah. met you, Bree. Yeah. You really brought us all together. <laughs> Thank you. I was so happy to do that. I mean, I felt like we needed community. I mean, that was the thing that came out of us actually coming together was that we really needed our community. It was good that ASU Child Wellbeing Center, they kind of understood that. They listened to our voices and listened to our counseling around what this should look like. If you're going to center these people, this is going to be your subject matters. Then let's talk to the subject matter experts around what this looked like. And so you and I, you know, have been both 
adamant about being in this space. So you being here in the state of Arizona, I felt like it was such an important piece for you to be uplifted. It was such an important space for you to be uplifted in, especially because there is a conference that's held here, you know, every year around this very specific topic. And when we first got there, it was all researchers, right? It really was. We were like the first, I don't know. Maybe practitioners, but in terms of like people with lived experience, yeah, I could have walked in and not known you had a dad who was incarcerated, and you may not have known that I had a dad incarcerated, and that was the feeling, you know. And I don't think I knew that until we actually were on the panel <laughs> yeah. together. I yeah. think that's when I discovered yeah. that, like, oh my God, what? Yeah. So that was like, oh no, we have to be connected mm-hmm. and we have to move this thing forward. And so glad that we have, we really because have. oh my God, look at you. You are doing incredible, incredible, incredible things. So I want to dive into, firstly, let's start off with wellness, because you know we're all about wellness. What are you doing since this pandemic? What have you been doing for your wellness and your well-being? I have been trying new things, and some of them are silly. So people might be like, oh, you being a plant mom and having 30-plus plants is a trend. But there is something about getting a plant and nurturing it and trying to figure out what it's telling you what it when it needs more water when it needs more sunlight because i really didn't really do that to myself and so when you take care of plants i know it sounds corny you actually are learning how to take care of yourself and plants you know it's not a linear journey some weeks they're real dehydrated and they're struggling that's the same for me in a pandemic having a partner working with covid patients that's true that's real so that is plants are something that bring me a sense of um groundedness wow yeah okay so i'm a plant person too Probably not as advanced as no. you are. Did you but see I, my dead fern in there? It's oh my <laughs> God, no. But I'm so happy to hear that because I love I love plants too. I don't know how to nurture them as well. You probably could give me some tips. Please do. Now let's talk about this report because I know when, I'm, when we first met, you were telling me you were a doctoral student mm-hmm. working on your PhD. Yes. You are at University of Arizona. University of Arizona. And you did attend the conference because that's where we met. And that was at Arizona State University. Yes. But you were still trying to figure out like this whole narrative. Like there was something like, tell me, tell me, how did you get to this place of actually coming up with your dissertation and why? Essentially, I want to center subject matter experts who are black and brown girls who've been impacted by parental incarceration and familial incarceration. Because what I started to see is that likely you may have a parent who's been incarcerated but you probably also experience your uncle or your sibling or your cousin in some shape or form not always the case your brother right your sister Mm -hmm. i worked at a summer camp i was a cabin counselor with like 12 to 13 year old girls most of the girls in my cabin were black or brown or multiracial and had experienced parental incarceration. There were a few that had also experienced other type of family member incarceration. Those girls stay with me wherever I go because I wanted to really uplift them in their power to advocate for how they were feeling. Um, I think with girls and young women, there's this narrative that we can't really express ourselves in a way that makes other people uncomfortable. 
because we'll be called dramatic, sensitive, sometimes aggressive, and there's really not a space for us to just feel our feelings without being policed, I feel like. And so I really just wanted to understand like how are black and brown girls navigating this space of being a teenager, having their loved one incarcerated, but also going to school and being in their communities and being in their family systems. Mm. Because I feel like we can learn a lot from them. Mm. I feel like we can learn how are they coping? We can learn about their struggles. Mm. Because if you're a teacher, if you're a auntie, if you're a community member and you have a young girl in your classroom, in your family setting, we want to support them. Mm -hmm. But to support them, we have to know what kind of support they, they want. Need, right, or they need. And they need. We right. have to know what support looks like for them. Right. I mean, I could tell you the girls and young women I've interviewed so far, a lot of the ways they cope is very internalizing, which I can relate to. So it might be like a difficult relationship with food is how they're coping. Mm. It might be more mindset, like I don't ask for help because I know others aren't going to help me. Mm. And you can't really see that on the outside. Right. You can't really be like, oh, little Ebony is having an issue, mm -hmm. even though we know mom or dad is incarcerated because it's internal. You can't see it. And so that's important to know, because if you're a counselor, if you're a teacher, if you're an older sister, you want to be able to know what to look for in terms of helping our young people who've been impacted by parental incarceration, mass incarceration, things like that. Mm -hmm. I also look to my experiences too. I'm Latina. I grew up with my father incarcerated, and there wasn't a lot of spaces for me to ask questions, for me to ask for help. I didn't even know if I deserved to ask for help or resources. Like, hey, my dad, you know, is incarcerated 15 years to life. Am I worthy of support? Is there even support out there for me? And I feel like I'm also hearing that in the stories that have been shared with me so far, is this idea that I didn't even know who to ask for help, where to ask for help if help was even possible. So that's where I'm at with my research. I aim to uplift and amplify, which is so aligned with We Got Us Now. I'm not trying to be like a voice for the voiceless. Right. I want to amplify what's already there. Right. There's already subject matter experts there, which you taught me. Mm -hmm. My job is just to use my dissertation study, my research to amplify what already exists in our world. Um, and that's what I'm trying to accomplish. And I think that's so important because, you know, you speak about it from the perspective of the individual that's impacted, right? The daughters specifically, or the family members that are impacted, but specifically like the daughters or sisters or yes. whomever. I think that even the, the caregivers and the parents, they aren't informed, they aren't educated. As you and I both know, mm -hmm. like, you know, having this had this lived experience, families didn't know what to yeah. do or how to support us mm -hmm. so for you to be able to provide some sort of research and background about what is needed 
what these young people want, but as well as what is needed and mm -hmm. how do we inform those around them, their community around them yes. to best support them. I mm -hmm. think that's such an important piece. And you know what? I think that is important too because when I was working at a camp, I sort of was like, okay, the way that we're treating the girls, we're like policing their clothing. Yeah, you know, we're focusing on like if they're showing too much shoulder. That's not what they need, oh my in gosh. my opinion. I felt like if we're going to focus on like their gender, that's just like counterproductive of, of helping them. I think why, if it's a camp or a classroom, why you don't want to center a black girl or a young brown girl, who by the way are not, their stories are often not shared, especially in research. Why do you but think that is? But I think it's from a scarcity mindset because children with incarcerated parents to me, looking at the way I grew up, we're so used to the crumbs of support, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So yeah. I think people are like, there's not enough resources to center girls, mm. right? And, and it can be on the flip side, like there's not enough resources to center boys, but I'm focusing on girls. Right. And my thing is, what if we came from a standpoint of like abundance, that there is enough resources? Because I think for me, you don't want to bring a bunch of children of incarcerated parents and think that our experiences are all the same. Right. Because then people are going to fall through the cracks. Right. Because you're not willing to, like, really unpack the nuances in everyone's experience. We have enough resources to do that. Mm -hmm. That's what I think. Mm, I agree with you. I think that you're right. I mean, a lot of why We Got Us Now came into being is because me meeting you know you and you know hearing the type of work that you were interested in doing and hearing the challenges that you were facing I'm like well wait a minute no how can I uplift amplify and support you know and empower you to do this work and be able to do it in a way where you are blooming and blossoming and it sounds like you like you're really digging into it I, you know I want to ask like you know so once this dissertation is done what, where do you see it living where do you want it to be and and what do you want to do thereafter oh that's such a great question and a lot of the girls and young women asked me that when I was finished interviewing them I almost feel like it's going to live on what's already created I don't necessarily think the will needs to be reinvented right because I think of like our retreat with We Got Us Now Actionist, that lives and exists and is a beautiful space already. I think naturally because of at least the alignment and values with someone like We Got Us Now, making sure that women's voices, girls' voices are heard in a space like that, which it already is, right? Like that's a place where it can live, but I would love to collaborate with schools mm, um, okay. and to make sure that if you're a teacher or a principal and you do want to help children of incarcerated parents, that you are okay and comfortable looking at the nuance of everyone's experience. Mm. I think that this work can live in camps and after school programs. I think this work can live in family living rooms. So I'm like an only child of my dad. He has another little girl who's one years old, but he wasn't incarcerated when she was born okay right so I don't have siblings mm. who's ex who experienced this with me okay you think of like a family living room and you have three brothers and one sister mm -hmm. this work can live inside a family living room so that we make sure that the sister and the brothers are supported but making sure that the sister isn't 
being adultified, which means like you're given adult responsibilities and making sure that that sister is um, not struggling with gender role issues, mm. like having to assume um, mother roles mm. or parent roles. That's a gendered experience, meaning that it's likely that a young girl or woman's gonna interact with that type of setting versus a boy. Do you not necessarily that, you know, experiences are more important than other, like, you know what I mean? I'm not trying to like pit experiences no, no, against I, each other. I hear what you're saying, but I, I want you to delve a little bit more deeply into that because I, I, I do think that that is a thing. Mm-hmm. Especially in certain communities. In certain communities, yeah. Right, for sure, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's such a great point. <laughs> I think That like, we just kind of like, you know, most people just kind of, oh, no, that's a cultural thing, you know. And shout out to the older sisters and the siblings because they are like another parent. And I think it's compounded when we're talking about parental incarceration, familial incarceration. And what I've been hearing through my interviews is this idea that girls and young women are already seeing their caregivers in distress. Mm. So they're not even attempting to ask for help. They're wow. learning early on that they should probably just Handle. not be a burden. Mm-hmm. And what does that do to young girls and women if we're learning at a young age that we, our feelings and our needs are a burden to others because everyone else is trying to survive. We have needs too and we deserve to have our needs met. So what are you learning from this? Because this is such a great, great, great topic to unpack. What are you discovering from this? What are you hearing from these young yeah. girls? Well, I'll talk about like something like neighborhoods. Neighborhood support benefits girls and young women impacted by familial incarceration. It's rare that neighborhood support through programs or organizations is specific to those who are impacted by mass incarceration. Um, It came up a few times. I was so happy to hear some of the young girls and women talk about like get on the bus, Mm -hmm. um, talk about different programs that they were a part of Mm -hmm. that dealt with family incarceration. Get on the bus is a a, uh, program in Los Angeles that gives children opportunities to visit their parents like on special holidays and things like that. They provide the transportation services. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm learning that girls and young women desired support in their families and what that looked like is maybe adults asking them how they were, but asking them how they were because I think what often happens when you have an incarcerated parent, it's like, oh, how's Nino? Nino is my dad's name, like that's what they call him, like how's Nino? But you're not asking me how I'm doing, you're asking how my dad is, which is great, but like what about what I'm navigating, what I'm dealing with? And so girls and young women are desiring that type of support within their family settings. They are negotiating how to share their identity of being a child of an incarcerated parent in schools. Mm. And so I'll tell you this, this is a hard one, but I think it's important. Okay. About four or five times it came up that certain curriculum in school was really harmful to girls and young women impacted by familial incarceration. For example, there was a lot of school activities where teachers had students debate death penalty, um, where students went to a field trip to a court and the everyone was excited about like a murder case, court case. Mm. And there was other instances too of like having to watch teachers showing the Stanford prison experiment, oh, which yeah. is a really yeah. like awful experience done in the 70s yeah. where they made people pretend to play incarcerated people in correctional officers that makes girls and young women uncomfortable yeah 
but they don't want to out themselves and be like this makes me uncomfortable because my dad my brother my sister is currently in a prison facility they can't even voice their discomfort because they don't know how they'll be judged right this is just a small tidbit but i would love to work with schools and principals and teachers to really look at our curriculum and make sure that it's not harmful um, for all children of incarcerated parents, but really, you know, girls and young women who are impacted by mass incarceration. Wow, how powerful is that? Wow, that that is great. Well, we got us now is building out a global research and data hub, FYI. So we would love to have your research live there. I would love that. You know that I would be a thousand percent up for giving my research skills and amplifying any research that is for us, that is about us, that is by us. And I just want to say to you, a lot of my work is actually informed by my fellow actionists, my cohort who I love. Mm -hmm. You think about Brie, Mm -hmm. Daughters Beyond Incarceration Mm -hmm. in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. She is literally doing the work that I am attempting to center in my dissertation and I even think like I appreciate Tiffany Brown in Michigan with um, developing despite distance who focuses on boys Mm -hmm. and she does it in a way that's so unapologetic Mm -hmm. where it's like I'm going to center boys impacted by parental incarceration you can't tell me otherwise and I really am attempting to do that with my research to say it's okay to center girls it's okay to center black and brown girls When I think about liberation for children of incarcerated parents, liberation for children and adolescents impacted by familial incarceration too, it's okay to center black and brown girls because what happens is we free black and brown girls, we only turn back to free everyone else. We bring everyone else alongside with us. Mm. I don't think people realize that. Why is it such an issue to... um uplift black and brown girls like is that a problem i think when you look at research in academia research at universities um people will publish articles that are not written by us um that are often leaving out the narratives and stories of black and brown girls historically ebony in family studies and human development field yeah it has historically left out the stories from black and brown girls. Why? I don't know, maybe because researchers are not the same racial identity as us, but they're still publishing, right? The through line, the narrative is that, oh my God, the most children that have experienced parental incarceration are black and brown children. Right. So then how are we not part of the research? And that's where I'm hoping my work I guess takes it a step further. We know that, one in nine black children have an incarcerated parent. And that's it. And that's where they end it. Okay, but like, what are but they experiencing? Is that, is that the narrative? Like in, in, in all yeah. of the research that you found, like that's the blanket I, narrative? Yeah, people aren't really Digging. getting into the nuance of it. Like, right. okay, one in nine black children, what is, does it look differently for black boys versus black girls? Uh, does it look differently for Latinx boys versus Latinx girls? It is okay to look at that nuance. And we know that to be, yes, it does look differently. Mm-hmm. We, as with the lived experience, yeah. know that to be true. Yes, mm-hmm. it does look different. And when we are not scared of differences, we're able to like fully invest in a young person's healing Mm. a young we're fully able to meet the needs of a young person um that's why it's important to look at the nuances okay giving me some great 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 Mm -hmm. insight 
about. So then my question to you is like, okay, so then what happens once this is done? Once you finish your dissertation and now you're doctor, yeah. Petch. When I graduate, I want to continue being involved in like, especially Arizona's criminal justice system because there's a lot of work needed to be done. Um, there's people who've been in the game trying to get reform out here for decades and decades, and it's mm. really hard to do that in Arizona. Why given is that? Our landscape is very much um, lock them up and throw away the key in terms mm. of people who are incarcerated. Our prison conditions are horrendous in Arizona. Oh, wow. Like people are not getting the most basic health care needs. So you're telling me that you're going to incarcerate my parent in an Arizona prison and you're not even going to give them basic medical attention? Like people are dying in Arizona prisons because of the horrendous health care conditions. So things like that. That's so minimal. It's minimal. Like just last year we were finally able to get the governor to sign the Women Dignity Act, which oh, made yeah. sure that mm -hmm. incarcerated women at least had a sanitary, good a number yeah. of sanitary and, needs, and yeah. menstrual needs met. Mm -hmm. Like what? In 2020, that's when you were, we were able to get it passed. But mm -hmm. the most basic, like human rights for incarcerated people and their families, are like really hard to to come by in Arizona. So I want to continue talking with legislators and connecting with organizations. There's amazing organizations in Arizona, like oh, I yeah? said. The Tucson Second Chance Community Bail Fund, okay. um, American Friends um, Service Committee, who are now just turned into Just Communities Arizona. Oh, they which changed is, their name? They changed their name. They're, they're gonna be like a new organization that's focused on like more so like abolition too. Oh, wow. I just wanna connect, I want to. So tell me about your work there with Now It's Just Communities. I, you know, they're just changing, but okay. in the past, I was part of their reframing justice. Um, oh, right. I remember. Yeah, they highlighted you. That was a yeah, big deal. Yeah, reframing justice leader. We were trained to meet with legislators to get sentencing laws passed. Mm -hmm. um, we were trained to talk to media, which mm -hmm. is not my favorite, but I, you know, I tried. Um, they would have reporters come and we would practice with them. Oh, wow. And they just trained us to, like, advocate across Arizona to support incarcerated people and their families. And what I appreciated about Reframing Justice program is that every leader was directly impacted. Either they were formerly incarcerated or they were a family member of someone who was incarcerated or formerly incarcerated. And so it really is actually really aligned with We Got Us Now because it was like, you're a subject matter expert because of your experience. Yes. Period. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. And yeah, my whole the whole mission of We Got Us Now is to uplift those voices in these particular cities and states so that you guys can be doing the work that you right. are clearly doing. I can't imagine it any other way. <laughs> like now, I can never go back to being like in spaces, and I know there will still be spaces, but in spaces where it's just people at the table who don't have this lived experience. What do you want people to know about the work that you particularly are doing? And then also, what do you want them to know about the state of Arizona and what needs to be done? I want people to know that it only benefits us in research, in society, when we really think about those who are closest to the problem 
because likely they're closest to the solution yet furthest away from the resources i think glennie martin said that that's how policy research curriculum family decisions i think should be framed around this idea that we're listening to girls and women in my case who are impacted Mm. because if we ask them and we validate them and we humanize them we center them they're going to tell us what they need what they want what they dream of I think that's one of my favorite questions that I've asked every young girl and young women in my study it's like what brings you joy and when do you feel most free Mm. and to ask someone that and then be committed to helping them feel at their most freest and their most joyful that's where the movement is Mm. and what about the state of of Arizona what do you feel they need to be doing the state of Arizona and maybe I'm speaking to Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation maybe I'm speaking to policy makers we can no longer move forward saying that we're investing in positive youth development that we're investing in healthy families if we are not considering children, youth, and families impacted by mass incarceration, by parental incarceration. Mm. We can't move forward. Mm. You're letting children, youth, and families fall through the cracks. You're leaving them behind when you don't consider your sentencing laws, your health care conditions inside prisons. You can't move forward and say that you're for all families, for all children, for all youth if you don't consider families that look like ours, that look like yours, Ebony. And so I wanna move us towards really acknowledging that our families, that our adolescents, that our children, we exist. We're impacted by parental incarceration. We're impacted by familial incarceration. We exist, we have needs, we have strengths, we have joys, we have dreams, and We're only moving forward with including those families and those children in mind. We gotta move forward. How powerful is that? Wow, how powerful is that? Well, I I wanna do what you just just shared. I wanna ask you, well, what brings you joy? What brings me joy is I love the routine I've created in my life, Mm. um, the sense of safety that I've created in my life. And so I walk my dog twice a day in this neighborhood and you know sometimes I don't always want to do it it's it's its own like job own chore Mm -hmm. but I really enjoy the freedom that I get to like walk my dog in my neighborhood um, and that be part of my daily routine Um, I get joy off of sharing a meal with my partner with my fiance And again, that goes back to creating like the most mundane routine, but that's a need that I wanted when I was younger and I didn't always have. And so what brings me joy is to be able to create that now in my young adulthood, if that makes sense. That is so powerful. Like you took the thing that you didn't have Mm -hmm. and you made sure that you created it in your own adult life. And so many people don't know how to do that. I just want to say, I'm very, very proud of the woman that you are. 
I'm proud to see all of your courage and your voice mm. and how you have literally bloomed. We talk about flowers and plants. <laughs> like I've literally watched you like open up and bloom into this full on tree, right? It was like a little seed and you were determined, <laughs> right? But oh my God, look at you. Look at you. You should be very, very, very proud of yourself. I want to thank you, Ebony, because you were that resource for me. Mm. And if you remember our first meal together, I asked you, do I even belong in this movement? Oh my God, yes. And you looked at me kind of crazy like, <laughs> what? Yeah. But I was so unsure because I've never had a resource, a space like we got us now that I questioned if I should be in this movement to end mass incarceration, to end parental incarceration. And so you are a resource. You continue to be a resource. And I am just so thankful and grateful for this lifelong relationship that we've built and are will continue building. We got us now. <laughs> we got us we now. We got us now. <laughs> yes. I think we got us now. I'm so grateful for the opportunities it's given me. I don't think we got us now and its founder realized that you are healing people's inner child. Mm. You are giving little Alex a space she didn't have back in the day. And I, I just want you to realize that that's what's happening here. Mm. And I think that's what's happening for our cohort, our actionists, our We Got Us Now community members. Um, that's what I'll say about We Got Us Now. Wow. It's not just me. It's all of us. It's all of us. It's all of us. It's together. little ebony. It's yep. little so-and-so. Yes. Like. Yes, it really is. It mm. is. It is. It's just like being here with you now. It's like I'm here with my sister, you know? Mm. We have so much in common and just our journeys are so aligned. I just, It just feels, it's like you said, it's a lifelong, it's a lifelong thing. It's not, it's never going to end. And we're going to continue to do retreats for us. Mm-hmm. Um, for all the little Ebony's and little Alex's Listen. that didn't get those opportunities or were not recognized or acknowledged. I'm in Arizona. I did it. I'm here with yeah. Alexandria. Oh my God. Yes. Yes. We did it. We got, us now. we got us now. Yes. All right. So we're going to start today with the doctoral degree recipients from our Norton School of Family and Consumer Sciences. Presenting our doctoral graduates from the Norton School of Family and Consumer Sciences is Assistant Dean Jim Hunt. Dr. Alexandra Sarissa Hatch. Mass incarceration in the U.S. is the great tsunami that has ripped apart families and destroyed communities. At the epicenter of this destruction are the children of those incarcerated. My name is Ebony Underwood. I am the founder CEO of We Got Us Now. We Got Us Now is the first of its kind, national, nonprofit, nonpartisan organization built by, led by, and about children and young adults who have been impacted by parental incarceration. These are our stories. To learn more, to join, to donate, go to wegotusnow.org.